Well, again, I am so blessed, and I, I give glory to God to be here, to be here with you for the second year in a row, um, to get to know some of you guys more uh, in relationship, and now to be sharing the Word of God with you. I just celebrate that opportunity. Um, my name is Jonathan Matthew. I grew up in Boise, Idaho, met my wife, Sharice, at Biola University in Southern California. Uh, we began working at Emmanuel Reform Church in Paramount, which is just north of Long Beach. And when we began working there, uh, I went through seminary, and God called us through that church to serve in Compton as missionaries. We began with the first church plant from Emmanuel called City Church, and now we started services as well two years ago, a church called The Vine from John 15. Cornerstone Community Church has been going through a series on the whole book of the Bible in one year. Praise God. Um, you guys are in the book of Esther this week. And the book of Esther, I believe, uh, is really about God's providential working even when we don't know it and can't see it. And I think one of the theme verses of the book of Esther is Esther chapter 4, verse 14. And it says this, it's on your slide there. Uh, for if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. God had worked it out by grace that Esther would be in the place that she was in to be used by God for the deliverance of his people. That's why she was there as queen. It wasn't for herself. It was for God's purposes. Acts chapter 17, 26 through 27 says, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is not actually far from each one of us. So God ordained for all the nations in all of history their time and their place, and the goal of that was that they would come to know him, and to come to know Jesus, and that they would help others come to know him as well. And that's true of you today and of me. He ordained the time and the place that you should be here in Chowchilla, that you should be at Cornerstone today, this time in August 2021, on purpose, one, that you, that you would know him and maybe know him for the first time if you don't know him today, or that you would know him better, that your knowledge of him would increase, that your intimacy, your experience of him would advance today, and that he would use you to help other people know him better as well. That's true of us in Compton. God ordained and chose that we would be in Compton for such a time as this. Esther, the book of Esther takes place in the 5th century in the Persian Empire in the capital city called Susa. The Jews had been deported over 100 years before that, and they were dispersed throughout the empire. And this story focuses on two Jews, Esther and Mordecai. They were cousins, but Esther's parents died. And so Mordecai, who was older than her, took her in and became like a surrogate father to her, like a spiritual mentor. And he raised her up. Well, the time came where the king of the Persian Empire was unhappy with his wife, his queen. And so he held this bachelor contest. 
to find out this, this beauty contest to try to find out who would be chosen to be his next wife. So he, he got, gathered all the most beautiful women of the empire, and all, out of all of them, Esther was chosen, this Jew, this person who was born into the people of God. And it says in chapter 2 that Esther was beautiful and lovely to look at. And that's by grace, right? There's only so much we can do to our physical appearance to try to make ourselves look the best that we can, but it's by grace that God gives you the, the body that he gives you. And, and because of God's grace, Esther landed into the, the royal chamber to be in one of the highest places in the whole empire by grace. It's easy to complain in our lives about maybe our circumstances or things that aren't going our way or we think how our story should be different. But God's grace is at work in every one of our lives, even as it was at work in Esther's life. He's chosen you. He's, he's appointed the time and the place, and he's, and he's been good to you. And it's important to give thanks always, the Bible says. And God has been gracious to us in our ministry in Compton. I think everything good that happens comes, comes from God, but there are a couple of clear examples that are really evidence of his grace. We go out every week and we invite people to church in our neighborhood. Um, we invite at least 10 to 12 neighbors, and most of them are no's. But God has provided a couple families to us in the last year since we were here in August that was completely by grace because we didn't actually invite them to our church. They found us. So the first family, the Rossellis, um, Sam and Laura, their pictures up there, um, and their daughters, Joy and Lydia, uh, they found us. The, 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 the mom was connected to my wife through homeschooling, and they joined us in August when we came back from this trip, and they've been with us every week since. They're a family that has a history of walking with Christ. They, they try to make Christ center of their home. Uh, we had, a, we had three mission teams last, last month. Sam took off work just to serve with us. Laura canceled a science program so that their kids could serve with us in the mission week. And Joy, their, their, their kids have become good friends with ours. And I just celebrate Joy, who's on, on, the, on the right there, just loves the word of God. And when you're a preacher, to have someone who loves the word is, is so encouraging. Um, we're, we've been going through the book of Daniel. We just finished. And after reading the book, reading one passage earlier this year, she was so excited about the word that when her family was driving home after lunch, she opened up her Bible and began reading the whole book of Daniel just to get the whole context. And she's nine years old. So God is at work through them, and God has brought them to us because we've been praying that other believing families would join us in our small church, because we really need help. We need others who know the Lord and have had a history walking with him, and God provided that, praise God, through the Rossellis. Secondly, the Smith family. So God provided the Smiths over uh, Easter. We met them at a birthday party through the Rossellis. Uh, again, someone I didn't specifically invite to our church, um, but I got to know him at the birthday party, and he texted me a few days later saying, I'm coming to your church. So we came on Easter Sunday the first time, and they've been with us ever since 
that first Easter Sunday of this year. They are a huge blessing. Uh, Debbie uh, helped us just get a dishwasher last month. We've never had a dishwasher since we moved to Compton. Uh, praise the Lord for that. And uh, she's got a good uh, logistical brain. She helped us on our trip over here as well. Um, their kids are Matthias on the left and Noah. Uh, we helped a neighbor unload his whole backyard. It's just full of junk last month as part of our outreach to the neighborhood. Had a dumpster dropped. And Matthias and their family were working for an, an hour and a half. He had dirt all over his face. This is, he's three years old, but he's a tough guy for the Lord. Robin, who's the, the father, uh, he's a man who loves Jesus. He's a man of prayer. He comes up to me and he, he, he texts me almost every day and say, I'm praying for you and your family specifically, and I loved you guys. Um, he, he has started this text group with our, our church and, and text scriptures out and worship songs and words of encouragement to keep us connected. This picture is taken at the beach where we had an outing as a church. He's organized these outings for us. He just wanted to step in to wherever he could. So in the next slide, uh, we had a, a few needs. And, and he, uh, he's never done these things before, but he created a new logo for us, for our, our church there. Uh, he created a flyer for our VBS we had two weeks of VBS last month, and we went out in the neighborhood and passed these out. He created a, an initial website for us and a business card for us, which we, we needed all of these things. And he's never done any of these things before, but he just knew we needed them, and he wanted to step in and help. So praise God. God brought these two families to us to really help us, and we really needed that. And I know people have been praying for us for that, and so God has answered those prayers. So we celebrate his grace. So next in the story of Esther, the bad news happens. The bad guy comes. His name is Haman. He, he becomes the second in charge of the whole empire, and he's a very arrogant man. Okay? It was customary for Persian royals that you would, you would give them a sense of honor and respect when they come in. But he got a specific decree in the beginning of chapter 3 for the king of Persia to make a, a, a specific, to have everyone specifically bow down to Haman whenever he would pass by them. And this was an act of worship. Um, often royals would want to be deified by their subjects. And we know that this was probably an act of worship because Mordecai, in chapter 3, he refuses to do so. And it says that he refused to do so because he was a Jew, specifically identifies that, which means to bow down to him would not be congruent with his relationship with God and his worship of the one true God. So eventually news comes to Haman that this one Mordecai refuses to bow down to him, and Haman is infuriated. And then he learns the reason he won't bow down to him is because he's a Jew. So not only does he decide to plot uh, Mordecai's death, but he also decides to plot the destruction of the whole Jewish people to, to, to have a day of genocide at the end of the Jewish year, the month of Adar. Mordecai hears about this, and he is grieved. So it says in chapter 4 at the beginning, when Mordecai learned all that had been done, he tore his clothes, clothes put on sackcloth and ashes, and went about in the city crying with a loud, bitter cry. 
Mordecai could have kept his emotions to himself. He could have not made it public. He could have even thought, look, my daughter, my surrogate daughter Esther is in, is in the royal kingdom. He's, she's married to the king. I got a card to play. Why does he go about the city wailing and mourning in this big show? Well, the scripture doesn't tell us exactly why, but we do know from scripture that when judgment was pronounced against the people of God, usually it was disciplinary. And the response that God wanted was for his people to repent, to fast and mourn. It says this in Joel chapter 2, verse 12. So in Joel chapter 2, the prophet declares the day of the Lord, which it says is this day of gloom for all the inhabitants of the earth. But then it says this, verse 12, Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and drink offering for the Lord your God. So the right response when you hear bad news as the people of God, the right response is to repent, is to mourn and fast and turn toward God. The Bible even says that when we go through trials, our faith, which is more precious than gold, is being tested and refined. So when you hear bad news, the best response is to go to God. And I believe that's what Mordecai is doing here when he's fasting. He is conducting what the people of God are supposed to do when they hear bad news, to mourn other sins, to repent, and to fast. So in, in the fall, um, I often like to work at local parks. I meet people. Sometimes God provides divine appointments. And I met a man named Anthony. Um, my family was at the park too, and I was actually working on one of my updates for you people and other people, other supporters that, that, that are praying for us. And I, I came there, and Anthony approached me, and he said, uh, could, you, could you help us out? My family were, were homeless. Um, he had moved over to that area from Missouri with the promise of a job, but then COVID happened, and that promise was, was dashed. He heard bad news, and he and his girlfriend and his girlfriend's daughter were homeless, they were living out of his car in the park. I just happened to have gone to the grocery store at that time. So I had a bunch of groceries in my car, and I was glad to, to share those with him. I actually had a bunch of bags of toiletries as well that I was looking for, to get rid of, um, and, and he was glad to receive them. So we just were able to bless them, him with a lot of, him and his girlfriend and his daughter with a lot of, of, of stuff, and he just was so thankful, and he said, Wow, you guys are angels to me. No one has ever blessed us this way. And I just told him, uh, we've been in need many times in our lives, and God has used others to bless us. And it's because of Jesus' love that we get the, the grace and the blessing to bless other people. So he received those things. He went back to, to the bench where his family was, and I, I, I began working on my update. And then he comes back and sits down on the bench with me. He says, what are you doing? So I explained, and, I, and he said, so, so who are you? What do you, what do, you do? And I explained, I'm a, I'm a pastor. And he begins just sharing his stuff, his sins. And he says, you know, I, I need a real change in my life. 
And I came to learn that he really struggled with alcoholism. So I just walked through the gospel with him. Some of you may be familiar with the Romans Road. It's a real great way to share the gospel with, with him. Um, but I walked through all that Jesus did, his, his death and his resurrection, that can provide salvation for whoever believes and, may, and says, like those that were baptized today, Jesus is Lord and Savior. So I said, do you, do you want to begin this journey with, with the Lord? Do you want this, this gift of salvation? And he said, yes, I do. So we just prayed right then on that bench, and I led him through that prayer. And when we had the, the point at the beginning where you confess your sins, I'm sorry for my sins, just started weeping. Tears were rolling down his face. I'm sorry, Lord, for my sins. And then when we got to the point of asking God to come into his life, he said, Lord, come into my life, come into my life. And it just felt very genuine. Um, so we finished that prayer, and I felt like the Holy Spirit was doing something powerful in that moment. I gave him my Bible, and I said, to begin your journey with Jesus, you got to read this. And he said, where, where do I start? I pointed him to the Gospels, Gospel of, of Matthew and the Psalms. I said, this is how you can know Jesus, and this is how you can learn how to pray. Read the Psalms and pray them out loud. So we left the park that day, and I saw him with his Bible opening, already reading. And I just celebrated. I invited him to our church, of course. And shortly after that, he got a job. And so he was working on Sunday. He couldn't come to our church. Another Sunday came by. He had a child custody situation to work out. Eventually, New Year's Eve service came that where our church was happening. They were planning on coming. He fell and tripped and had to go to the emergency room. Just felt like spiritual warfare. God, uh, um, God was wanting him to come, but the devil was, was fighting back. Their phone shut off. I couldn't communicate with them anymore. Because we talked on the phone several times. I prayed with him. So I went to the park looking for him. Couldn't find him and his family. I got a call uh, in March from, from uh, Melinda, his girlfriend. Anthony passed away in March. He had some kind of uh, internal bleeding, something ruptured inside of him, and it had been related to his history with alcoholism. So it was sad, but I, I believe that God really had done something in that moment. And I don't know, I don't know the outcome of his soul, but I celebrate that as a result of the bad news that he'd heard in his life, he was able to hear the good news of the gospel. So Esther chapter 4, verse 4. It says this, when Esther's young woman and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed about Mordecai and his wailing. So she sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Isn't that an interesting verse? This is her dad. Her dad's wailing in the city, making a big show, and her first response is, take off that sackcloth, get some normal clothes on, stop embarrassing me. She didn't even find out what was causing him to mourn. Wouldn't that be your first natural response? At least I hope it would be. She just wanted him to stop making such a big show. And I don't know if you've experienced that too, where you feel like around certain people, I can't be very vulnerable. I got to pretend like everything's okay. And maybe sometimes for whatever reason, you feel like when you come to church, you have to be that way too. Are you the kind of people 
then invite vulnerability in others. For them to be and go through truly what they're going through. I'm thankful because I've, I have a journey I've gone through and God has shown me much grace in my weakness. And it's helped me to have compassion on others. So there's a, a lady, her name is Martha. There's a house just north of us and Caden was talking about this house for a little bit. Um, there's a, a lady there who lives there. I'm going to call her Annie. And Martha is not this lady's real name as well, but I'm going to call her Martha. Martha is her aunt. And we're invited to parties that they have a lot. This is a non-believing family, and they're vocally non-Christian to us. But they invite us to their parties. And so they were having a party uh, in the fall as well. And I met her aunt Martha at the uh, food table that they were having. And she looked pretty rough. Uh, she looked like she had gone through a lot of stuff. So we began talking, and she again asked me, who, who am I? And I'm a neighbor. I'm also a pastor. And she begins telling me, oh, I know I'm not going to heaven. I'm not good enough to go to heaven. The life I've lived and the life I continue to live, I definitely don't deserve to go to heaven. She was volunteering that thought to me. And so I told Martha, you know, I don't deserve to go to heaven either, to be honest. With my sins and my mess-ups, I don't deserve either. My hope to go to heaven has nothing to do with my own righteousness. It has to do with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Jesus is and was the perfect human being and the perfect God who became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. So I explained the gospel to her as well. But she reiterated, I'm still not good enough. I said, no, let me help you understand. It's, it's about Jesus. And if, and if you turn to him, if you receive the gift that he gave for you on the cross and resurrection, and you, if you let him into your life and devote your life to him to repent and believe, then you can go to heaven too. So eventually she began to be convinced of that. And so I said, would you want to pray with me? This is all at the, at the food table where you get your food. And so we prayed together. And we prayed a prayer of, of, of confession, asking for forgiveness, receiving what Jesus did on our behalf, committing to following him. And we were done, and, and we were done with that. Now, I've talked about the gospel with almost, with probably about 70% of my, my neighbors on my block. And I've prayed with them. And I've seen many of them continue to live the lives that they want to live and not follow after Jesus. So I didn't think a whole lot of it. So in, in March, again, in this spring, we get a call. Annie calls my wife, texts her, and says, um, my mom wants Jonathan to come over to our house and to pray because Martha passed away and wants him to pray at her funeral that she would go to heaven. So I immediately went over to their house and learned what happened. They found Martha in her, her apartment room. They don't exactly know what happened. She had had some health conditions. But her mom, this is Martha's sister, Annie's mom, had told Annie that after that, that party, Martha, something was different about her. So she's usually really rough around the edges. She's really, usually really confrontational. And if she hit, she kind of feels any kind of judgment about her. Because she looks rough. If anyone's judging her, she's immediately ready to kind of roar, kind of jump at your face. 
And so it was really unusual that she was talking to me for so long. And after that conversation, she had had um, issues with drugs. They said that she stopped, she stopped using drugs. And she was in a shelter at the time, and she eventually got her own place. And then they found her uh, dead in her apartment. And um, they said that she had had some, 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 heart, some health conditions. So I said, look, I, I'm not going to pray for her to go to heaven. But I want to share with you the prayer that she prayed while she was alive. And that's, now is the time of salvation, the Word of God says. And so I shared with Annie the prayer that Martha prayed. And uh, Annie told me, well, that's great. I don't, I don't know if heaven's real. I know you believe that stuff. I believe in myself. So we're still praying for that family. But I just celebrate that God had done a transforming work in her life, in Martha's life, even though I wasn't there to see it. And that happened because God's helped me to be okay with her vulnerability. So let's continue on. In chapter, in verse 5 through 11, they're, they're communicating through Esther's eunuch. And Mordecai ultimately gives this challenge. Um, he tells Esther what's going on, and he tells Esther, you're in a place to do something about this. Would you go to the king and would you plead on behalf of the people? And Esther replies in verse 11, everyone knows that to go into the inner court without being summoned, except for the one whom the king holds the golden scepter, uh, they will be put to death. So Mordecai is asking Esther to do something that's really going to cost her, that's really a, a huge risk to her life. If you're a believer, you may see the connections here with the gospel. See, in this time, all of the Jews were pronounced a judgment of doom that they would die at the end of the year, that genocide would happen. But what the, what the whole world lies under is a judgment that's worse than death, than physical death. It's eternal death, eternal destruction. It's a worse decree. And for Esther to potentially be used by God to save her people, it would, it would come at a risk to her life if the king wasn't pleased with her and didn't want her to show up. The whole world lies under judgment of destruction without Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We're called, like Esther, to, to tell them about Jesus who can deliver them from such destruction. And, it, and you might find that often requires some level of risk, too. But probably in this country... It's not going to cost you your life to tell other people about Jesus. But it still feels risky, especially if you're an introvert. To be honest, I'm more of an introvert. But God has called me to be a missionary and to knock on my neighbor's doors a lot. This last month in July, we expanded to six blocks around our block to knock on neighbor's doors to see who we could serve, who we can invite to church, and who we can invite to our outreaches that we had. And it and it's difficult for me. I have to pray, allow the Holy Spirit to come into me and guide me, 
Because maybe I'll sound silly. Maybe I'll say the, the wrong things, right? Maybe they'll reject me. Maybe they'll reject the message. What's that going to make me feel? Maybe some of you relate to some of this stuff when you're trying to share Jesus with other people. But we're still called to risk for the salvation of the world through Jesus Christ. So we have been inviting neighbors this last year, and and especially this year, we have had six families join us for church that I've been inviting for the last two years to come, and they never came. So in the slide, you can see we had Fernando uh, on the left over there um, come, and we had a, a girl named Christina her, her son, a lady named Christina, her son comes to our church all the time, but she finally came over New Year's Eve. Um, on the next slide, we have a picture of, this is the, uh, the preschool that Sharice was talking about. The two, the two young girls there, both of their families came to church this spring for the first time. We've been inviting them for years. We'd already painted one of their houses three years ago. So, As a result of taking the risk of inviting, God in his timing bears fruit. And they got to hear the word of God. So Mordecai ends with challenging Esther. And he says this in verse 12. And they told Mordecai and Esther what what, uh, what Esther had said. Mordecai told them in reply, Don't think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your family and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. So he says this, don't just try to protect yourself and your own house. Our family knows that we live in Compton. We move there not for ourselves. We didn't move there to live a comfortable life, to try to check all the boxes of a, of a happy American life. We move there because we're a family on mission. We exist to be a mission outpost to our neighborhood. And our kids get that deep within inside of them. And we're thankful for that because that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, but they share Jesus with other people. And so he says this, If you don't step up, Esther, Mordecai says this to Esther, if you don't step up, God's going to use some means to deliver his people. And we know if God wants people to come to know him and to hear his good news, he's going to use whatever means he wants to for that. And the same here in Shauchilla. Those people he is drawing to himself, he will use some means to do that. But God wants to use you, and he wants to use me. For that purpose, we get the honor and the privilege to be vessels for that, of deliverance, for salvation in Jesus Christ. You know, I think I, I, I skipped over this real quick, but the gospel is in Esther, and it's, it's, and it's this. Every person stands in judgment, but Jesus, the Jewish king and Messiah, who was called by God to offer his life as an intercessory sacrifice for the world, found favor with the Father, rose from the dead, resulting in eternal life for those who likewise repent, mourn of their sins, 
and turn to follow Christ, putting their trust and faith in him and his gift of grace. Our place, like Esther, is to take the risk of telling others about him and inviting them to know him and be discipled through opportunities like coming to church. So God wants to use us. So Esther, at the end of this chapter, she says, okay, I'm going to fast, I'm going to pray. She decides to go for it. We prepped, we've been prepping for so long, we decided not only to launch our service on our neighbor's yard, but we had a summer of outreach this last summer. So the next slide, um, our our mission summer, we had three uh, back-to-back mission teams this last month, uh, teams from churches like yours that came out to serve with us. It was the first time that we really reached out to six blocks beyond ours. That Sunday, after our outreach, we had the most neighbors visit our church that we've ever had uh, and hear the Word of God. Uh, We had 12. We're a a small church at this point. We're about 25 people. We had 12 from the neighborhood come, neighbors who don't know Jesus, and we celebrate that. Um, We had many families join us over VBS for both weeks. We had over 90 people in our neighborhood come for a few of those days. Um, and, and during those days, I would ask God to just guide me through his spirit. I wanted to talk with at least one adult, get to know their story, and tell them about Jesus. And I would just sit down and have a spiritual conversation with them and ask the Lord to lead us. Uh, we served four other local churches because we believe for, for, for Compton to be transformed And for the kingdom of God to come, it's going to take the churches coming together. And so we served other churches. One of those churches joined us for our VBS, and we had a joint VBS time together. Uh, We painted seven buildings for our neighbors, and we did a lot of work for Rose. So I may have shared a little bit about her last time. She's a neighbor we served who doesn't know the Lord, who's not a believer, who I've I've told her about Jesus, but she saw us trying to do all of our outreaches in my small yard, which is... uh, about a fraction of the stage uh, size. And she said, she's got a bigger front yard, especially for Compton. A lot of the houses are just kind of jammed together. And she said, why don't you come over to our yard, do your outreaches there. And then eventually, why don't you have church on our yard as well? So her, her niece comes to our church, but she has not yet come as well. Um, but she loves having us there. And as we speak, our church is meeting on her yard today, this morning. And our brother Robin is preaching. So, uh, and it was the first time partnering with Revelation Church. And just to close with a few God stories from that that time, I want to share this video. Um, This is a a short uh, kind of taste of our our mission as a church and this last summer um, as one of the mission teams came and joined us uh, to serve in Compton. me into his streams, river of living water, turn my bitter into sweet, and all my burdens are lifted, took the shackles off my feet, there's no sound louder than a captive set free.
So you can see the yard over there on that video. That's where we set up every, every Sunday to worship the Lord. And that wall is right next to the yard. And it's always tagged up with different gangs uh, tagging, crossing out the other gang. And we painted over that wall six times since we've been there. And it's just a blank canvas for them to graffiti it up again. So we decided, you know what, we're going to, by God's grace and with the help of other people, we're going to paint a mural on there. And, we're gonna, and it wasn't up there, but the second team put a scripture verse on there. John 7, 37, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink, Jesus said. So that is on a wall, very visible for the whole neighborhood to see anytime they're passing down that street. So the Lord is very good. From that, we painted uh, Eric Foreman's home, and I had lots of conversations with Eric. He's, he's in a wheelchair. Um, he's on dialysis. He has a history with, with meth that he shared with me. Uh, but he said, I want to make the vine my church. Um, at the end of that mission week. Um, there's another uh, young boy, his name is Jay. Uh, he's, he comes to our church every, every day, uh, every, every week. He's friends with our kids. And at the end of the first week, he said, uh, I feel like something inside of my heart is changing and softening. And he's seven years old, and he hasn't committed his life to Christ. But I began to share the gospel and what communion means. And he's this jittery seven-year-old, you know, he, he can't, like, stay still or have a conversation that lasts for more than a minute or two. But he was able, the Holy Spirit was on him, and he was able to just hear the whole gospel. And I followed up with him twice afterward during our three weeks of mission teams. So God is at work in his heart. And then finally, um, our own son, Micaiah, uh, the end, partway through the second week, 
You know, we, we, we share the gospel with our kids. And, um, of course, they go to church and they hear the word of God. And four times in the last year, we said, hey, would you, Micaiah, would you want to make a commitment to follow Jesus? And he says, no, I, I'm not ready for that yet. I'm not interested in that yet. I don't, I don't want to do that. So we, we, thank, we thank God that he's being genuine and real, not doing it to please us. But that Tuesday of the second week last month, he said it was his time. And he had this conversation with my wife. Why does God want us to go to heaven? And so they, they, they talked about that. And, and, and Sharice said, do you feel like you're ready to begin that journey and to go to heaven? And he said, yes, I'm ready now. So, yeah, praise God. So we just prayed, led him in a prayer, and it was beautiful. It was our family. The team had already went back to their, their, sh- their shelter for the night. We prayed over him, and my, my, I had my three other kids just laid their hands on him and blessed him and, and spoke words over him on their own. It was just so beautiful. So um, the story ends with the king offering the scepter to Esther, and, and that begins this whole unfolding of favor for Esther and Mordecai and the Jewish people all throughout the end of the book of Esther. And we believe the best is yet to come for us as well. And the best is yet to come for you as well. So we would love for you to, to join in praying for us as you think about us. We're just so grateful for your partnership, um, Cornerstone. One of the things that we celebrate is that um, we have a, a support raising goal and we've been able to move to 80% in this last year of our first goal, and, and a big reason for that is because of your partnership. So thank you for that. Um, we would love to get to 100% this next year, so pray for us for that. God would, would put us in the right uh, relationships. Um, please pray that God would provide more core families to us. You know, we have these two that um, are, are rooted in Christ, and we, we need more. We, we want God to provide more. Those that are called to serve the Lord in Compton, uh, we would love uh, to continue to have our sustained outreaches. We, we had more um, mission teams than ever before, more outreaches than ever before, and we want to continue that. We'd love to grow as a church, um, both deeper in Christ and wider in terms of new people coming to know him um, and be discipled in him. We want to continue to partner with other churches for the sake of the gospel and uh, the continued growth of this outreach arm of, of this preschool that God has provided us. So those are just some ideas, and however the Lord leads you to pray for us, we would love for you to continue to pray for us. We send out updates every two months for those that are supporting us and those that want to pray for us, and if you want to be a part of that and, and get updates, um, come and talk to me, and I'd love to add you to that list. But such a wonderful blessing to be here to share the good news of what God is doing in Compton with you guys, uh, the good news of the gospel, and to celebrate what he's doing here in Cornerstone, um, and to share in the work of the kingdom. God bless you guys. I'm going to close us in a word of prayer. Father, we give you glory because every good and perfect gift comes from you. And without you, we can't save ourselves. We thank you, Jesus, that you love us so much. You love every single person here that you came down, became flesh, gave your life on the cross and rose for the salvation of everyone who would believe in you. 
We thank you that through you we have deliverance from destruction. And I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone here who's not put their faith and trust in you, committed their lives to you, uh, that your spirit would be at work in their hearts to draw them closer to you. We pray that you would bear much fruit this next year here in Chowchilla and in Cornerstone. We pray that you would bear much fruit in Compton and through the Vine Church. And we pray that this partnership might bring you glory and honor, Lord. We pray that you would give us joy at your work and that you would have your way in each one of us. In Jesus Christ, and in his name we pray, amen.